I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. They're the five aspects that a great pitcher or presenter needs to have. Jonathan Pease, he's not just a book writer. I was to read out to you his profile, but I'll be going on for 10 minutes. I've seen amazing ideas not get invested or fall away because they're just not pitched right. That's the difference, how it is pitched. So your book, Winning the Room, Mm. it's about the pitch. It is. This is why I believe I can coach it. I'm not a natural. In fact, I was absolutely terrible, like just a terrible public speaker to the point where I would not turn up for work or shirk meetings if I knew I had to present. I'm in New York at the best agency in the world. Everyone around me was unbelievable. I realized I had to make a part of what I did. So I started observing, writing down, gathering, doing every course I could. So I'm able to really help people go from wherever they are to a lot better, right? To get to more yes. It's more than just pitching the idea, it's pitching the person. Most people don't even talk about likability in business and they're missing a huge part of it, right? Because people do want to work with people they like, scientifically proven, and I've seen it in so many pitches and meetings over the years. What is likability? How do you do it? People that are nervous, right, of public speaking or pitching, I say to them, I wouldn't usually talk about this, but in... That's what Straight Talk's about. I, I will for you. Thank you. Um, Jonathan Pease, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thank you very much, Mark. Now, I, it's been a while since I first met you, but uh, because I first met you at um, the Sown Hearts and Minds conference, um, and uh, I was introduced to you by um, our mutual friend, um, and uh, who is you know currently, I think he's the chairman of uh, Baron Joey. I think he's the general managing director or something like that, but he's the boss anyway. And he put the whole... Um, uh, I'm talking about Matty Grounds here, of course. G'day, Matty. I'm sure you'll be listening to this and um and he gave you this massive rap to me um uh, in front of you and also uh, not in front of you like by text and, uh, and i thought wow i want to get you on the show but then i went and read through the brief my god like he didn't cover one tenth of um what you've done um and by the way i have to tell you like uh I feel like I'm sitting across from uh, Keith Urban. Like, <laughs> has anyone ever told you that before? It's been said before, Mark. Fucking hell. Like, uh, seriously? Like, <laughs> dude. Um, and uh, and it turns out, as we had a little chat before, we have lots of friends in common. So, yeah. um, mostly women, funnily enough. And mm. uh, which is, uh, you're a lot younger than me. So, but it seems like you've covered a lot of ground. So, I wouldn't mind just uh, just getting through that reasonably quickly, but just to give us sure. some context of um, who you are. And I, I think we should quickly just talk about the Sown Hearts and Minds Conference? Love to. So we started Hearts and Minds eight years ago. We being who? Uh, Matthew Grounds, Guy Fowler, uh, Gary Weiss, myself and a few other people contributing. Uh, and 
you know, eight years on, we've d- we've donated sixty million dollars to Australian medical research, which we're pretty proud of. And really, what we do is we get the best investment minds, philanthropists, and scientists in a room to pitch their very best ideas on the day. On the day, yeah. And look, most of these people don't pitch their ideas out there to the general public. So it's kind of a interesting dynamic in this room. Are they it's, looking for investors? No. No. No, they're not. Uh, and everything everything goes to charity, right? Like, so everything goes to medical research from the day. Right. Uh, hence why we've been able to donate so much. Um, and look, I mean, it's the highest stakes pitch room in Australia, I think, by far. You know, if you think about it, you've got billions of dollars in the room as far as investors goes. They're investing in front of their peers, which is really tricky. And we're asking these subject matter experts to really res it down to eight minutes, right? So every pitch has to be eight minutes, which is really, really hard. Uh, and the media's there, you know, pretty high scrutiny in the opera house. So, yeah, it's tricky, man. And I, you know, I really respect everyone that comes and pitches at this conference. It's a pretty big deal. Um, you also, at the back of this, there's a fund. So yes. you, there's a, yes. a, a managed fund. Correct. And the managed fund invests in what? Uh, well, I mean, it, it invests in a lot of stocks yeah. uh, across the, you know, mainly things that come out of the conference, but yep. also other things as well. Uh, and again, the proceeds from that goes to medical research. Uh, so the guys raised $500 million about three years ago, uh, and it's going pretty well. Yeah, so, and what is your role? Because, I mean, on the day, you look like the, you were producing or directing the whole yeah, show to me. Yeah, look, I'm not a finance guy per se. Uh, yeah, look, I'm a creative, so I'm in there training all the speakers. That's kind of one of the foundational roles. So I get to work with all those amazing people, which is just such a joy. Uh, I also do all the creative direction. So figuring out how it will come to life. Who, who's the musical act? How can we make this different? How did you get someone like Peter T? Like, yeah, how so the hell look, do you we him? work with friends and connections around the place. I've got a really good mate, Dan Rose from Warner, uh, president of Warner over there. And look, he organised Ian for us this year and he's incredible. He always helps us. He's kind of part of the Sewn Hearts and Minds family. Um, so yeah, we get interesting musical types. We get also different types of thinkers. So not just your sort of regular finance people. Peter Atier is a great example. Obviously a longevity expert, not much to do with finance, but it's all to do with human performance. But right? he's a scientist. Yeah, yeah, he is, absolutely. And 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 he's a draw card. Yeah, big time. I mean, I looked around the room and I thought, well, we're just about every billionaire in the room is mm-hmm. probably thinking to themselves, how can I live longer? And probably there are uh, others. Something ha- money can't buy, right? Correct. And they're the other half probably gave him Peter T's book because everybody I know seen have got Peter T's book last year or the year before for yeah. Christmas or Father's Day. Father's Day usually is a good one. Absolutely. And I guess it's a good audience for Peter too. Yeah, look, it is. I mean, I've been a big Peter Atier fan for some time, read his book, I'd like to think before most. Uh, and then, yeah, with the team, we went hard to get him and I'm absolutely delighted we got him. I think he was amazing. So can I ask you just on that though, given your creative experience, we're going to come mm. back to where that creative experience came from, but yeah. given your creative experience, you're holding an event. Your objective is to raise money for medical research and or scientific research around biological issues. Yeah. Um, when you send out the invitations or whatever it is, I don't know how it works, but whatever, yeah. whenever you send out the invitations or, or at least the notification that this is about to happen and you're trying yes. to get as many people there as possible, how do you think about, how does a creative person like you think about who should I get in as both a um, musician, musician and yep. or the uh, – the draw card. Yeah. Even though he's not really a finance guy. Yeah, yeah. So look, it, it comes back to the original brief that Matthew and Guy gave myself and a few other people, which was we want to do something different, right? Finance people and people with, you know, access to money have been getting dragged to 
charity balls and things like that for eons, right? And some of them are good, a lot of them are not so Shit. good. Yeah, <laughs> sure, exactly. You said it, but yes, exactly. So it's actually not about raising money. It's about a value exchange, right? We want people to come to this event and get something that they almost can't value. It's so it's so brilliant from a stock tip point of view, from an educational point of view, from an entertainment point of view. So when we think about who should be there and how we're going to do it, we've got that lens on, right? So it's just who, who could be different? Who's going to teach people something they don't know, they don't even know? They're the types of people we're looking for. Um, and yeah, just trying to be different, right? Trying to be different in that space. Do, but do you follow trends? So because I know a lot of people who listen to these podcasts and a lot of people just generally in business are always looking, uh, what's the new trend? Uh, how can I sort of um, dial into that trend and uh, – run off the momentum that that trend is creating and get some of that for myself. It's a bit of reflected um, reflected glory or a little bit of reflected marketing. Mm. Um, how important is it for – and how important is it for us to all follow trends? Because, you know, longevity right now is a big trend. Big. And, and mm. It's a huge trend, particularly about your marketplace. So do you – when you're – you know, when uh, JP's, you know, looking at um, who you want to draw in, your audience, who you want to draw into the show, it's a show – who do you want to draw into the show? Do you profile them? And when you profile, I don't, maybe you write down the profiles, perhaps mentally profile them, but do you profile them and say, what is their big trend interest at the moment? Hmm. Yeah, look, we look for themes, but there are a lot of people doing that, right? Trending themes. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, look, I guess, I mean, I hate the word trend personally. Let's just call yeah, it, yeah, yep. you know, relevant themes, but there's a lot of people doing that, right? Do doing the same thing. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, a conference about AI would be almost every conference running right now, yeah, totally. right? A conference about machine learning would be everywhere. Yep. So we certainly don't want to do that, but we need to keep it in context. But then how could we spin that, right? So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the theme, but then how do we push it slightly to the right or the left or just give a different viewpoint? Um so, yeah, that's how I would think about trends. And we're trying to find people that maybe haven't been to Australia before. You know, people haven't had access to We haven't seen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's very interesting because I, I'll be honest, when, when uh, Groundsy told me that he was getting a tea I said, mate, no, I need an invitation. Like, <laughs> and then Ginge, well, Ginge was going anyway, but Ginge, yeah. and, and, and we just decided to go together. Yeah. Um, but but that's that got me straight and I thought, but that's pretty smart. Yeah. Because I'm a finance guy, like, and probably wouldn't otherwise go have gone. Um, uh, I didn't realize Groundsy was behind this stuff anyway, but I would have gone if he if he had asked me because he's a mate. Yeah. But but what really got me was the tea conference, the the, the the tea part. Now, when you hold the event, yeah, it was a little underwhelming. Peter was because he's not going to get up there and uh, like a he's the interviewer normally, and b he likes to. Dig deep, go right into the weeds with yeah. the science. Yes, I mean, does. I don't know if you, I guess you listen to his of stuff. I do, I do yeah, too. Yeah, I'm um, a big fan. And uh, a lot of times he, he just loses me because I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, but or, or both of the, him and the other person talking to it. So I guess yeah. it was not appropriate for him to get into the weeds. And of course, you know, you had a great interviewer of yeah. him. Um, he yeah, he looked, did a wonderful yeah, job. Yeah, Lisa House is unbelievably yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I love Lisa. She's great. Um, and uh, we're trying to get her on our show, actually. Um, but now <laughs> she's retired. Um, but, but she, she but uh, she, she was fantastic. But I found everything he said I already read in the book. But then I thought to myself, it doesn't matter. I would have gone anyway. Mm. 
So how do you deal with that sort of outcome for your – I mean, you know, you go back, sit on, you debrief on the show, you say, like, how did it go? And do you go back and get feedback from all the people? Yeah. Do you get feedback from everybody? Yeah, we do, of course. Yeah, yeah you yeah. do a feedback loop? We do, yeah, we do. And, and what did you think you learned, learned from that on this occasion? And, and how do you learn? And how do you learn mm. about these things? How do you and your team learn about these things? Yeah. Look, I mean, we're, we're eight years in, so I'd, I'd like to think we have learned a little bit. So one thing you probably did notice with Peter, we made sure that was a live cross yeah. rather than a prepackaged cross. Very important to me. That very, was. very important. And we've done, you know, crosses with certain people before that have been prepackaged. So for example, you know, with Charlie Munger many years ago, we did a prepackaged piece and look, it was excellent. I mean, Charlie Munger, how could it not be? But we learned something from that and we thought, you know what, when we get the big names, we're going to make sure that we do it live and we're going yeah. to get someone like Lee Sales, if we're lucky enough to do the interview. Cause I think that gave it a big lift. Um, Look, we often get people who have written books. So Bill Browder was another guy we had a few years ago, obviously written a couple of amazing books. My brief and my sort of, um, my, I wouldn't say demand, but certainly my beg is please don't tell us about the book. We've, we've either read it yeah, yeah. or we're about to read it because it's in the gift bag. Yeah. Please take That's us. That's right. You gave it as a gift. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So please take us to the bedside. Take us to your new and emerging stuff. Because something I love about Peter is, he has strong opinions, but they're pretty lightly held. You know what I mean? In, in the sense that he's all about something, but then if data tells him otherwise, he'll change. Yeah. So I think he did that on a few things recently. So we wanted to, we wanted to really get into the new new stuff. I think he did a bit of it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there was a bit of book review, and you know, I, look, I'm not sure that. Could so what be did you what avoided. did you what did you get out of it? Like, um, what, what? So because I mean, how do you how do you top that next year? Like that's a bloody hard thing. This to is do. always a challenge, and it's funny because we often meet with Matthew and others in about I don't know a couple of weeks actually, and we do exactly that. We think about okay, well, how could we? Because it's going to take a long time to get and there. Better. Yeah, it must take ages to plan that it out. It does. It does. We start in about March, and you know crack on all through the year. Um, look, I, we've got some really, really big names in the sort of nearly firmed up zone already for this year. Yeah. So, look, for eight years, we've gotten better and better. I don't, I don't think we're going to stop. So, when you pitch, do you pitch it to Peter Chair? I mean, do, is that I, part of it? Absolutely. Okay, so, absolutely. Yeah, your, so bo I, your I, book. I, I pitched that one and... Um, yeah, was a big part of that one. And I'm not sort of, you know, big nutty myself, but I'm massive on longevity, massive on that sort of stuff. So it was a real passion point for me, along with I knew it had hit with the audience, which so far with hearing it definitely did. Totally. Uh, but yeah, no, I did pitch that one. Okay, so pitching is an area you, you, you know, you're, a, you're an expert in, um, and we'll go back to it. Well, know, it's a passion, right? Like I hate the idea of being an expert in it because every day I learn something that I'm crap at and I try and get better at it, but it is a passion. Right, like it's actually not my job. It's something I do for pure joy. Yes, it has great commercial outcomes, and I know it can for anyone. But I, I, I get real joy out of doing it. So your book, the winning, winning the room, mm. it's about the pitch. Um, it is. So and uh, and you know the pitch is like everybody talks about it, I guess. And uh, you know we have you know everybody is doing a startup things they got to, they want to mm. pitch to the investors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I work it, with a lot of startups. Yeah, I was going to say at, that. at exactly that point where they've got the articulation of what they think it is, and then I get in there and help them basically retool the content, but then importantly retool how you might deliver it. Right? Like I've seen amazing ideas not get invested or fall away because they're just not pitched right. And I've also, which is the scary part, seen pretty average ideas 
get pitched really well and then get invested in. And you're like, oh my God, like that's, it's actually, that's the difference, how it is pitched. Um, obviously, you want the basics of a great idea, but I think the pitch can make almost all the difference. Can we talk about winning the room then? Like, yeah. uh, I mean, just because a lot of people, like, I mean, with the house, people ask me all the time and, you know, I, bet I, like, I, I, like, I can pitch my own stuff because I'm, I believe in it and, yeah. you know, I can read a room pretty well. But me being able to transfer it across somebody else, you know, it's just, I'm just not very good at it. Um, so teaching someone or coaching someone or helping someone or assisting someone to, uh, explain their passion and their great idea, and um, with passion, and also um, knowing knowing who they're talking to. So mm. you know, when you pitch to a tier or his team, I, I guess yeah. you probably pitch. He's probably got a team, as he? he does have a team. Yeah, okay. Pretty big team these days. That, is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you pitch to his team, you know, you, you're up against a whole lot of things because you wanted him coming coming in at our time, which yeah. is a oh, weird time for him. Totally. Super inconvenient. Super yeah. inconvenient, and also. In his day job, he is saving lives. So to get him to come away from that to, you know, sort of dance around in a conference. And talk to billionaires. Tricky. Yeah, it's tricky, right? So what did you- Like he's got more pressing issues than us, let's be honest. Yeah, so, and more, more, more demand too. Yeah. So how did you work out that appealing piece that would resonate to him? How did you work that out like yeah. in your pitch to him? Yeah, well, look, I mean, it came through conversations. So we started with- quite a big ask and quite a big undertaking that we wanted him to do with us. And then through conversation, we realised where the gaps were and where he could make some concessions, but so could we. And we sort of found a, you know, it's such a typical statement, but a bit of a win-win moment where we could do it in a way that worked for us, but it was also minimal lift for him. Uh, and then at the end, we brought in some of the real benefits like people in the room and real outcome focused stuff, which I think then got him over the line. But yeah, to answer your question, it was a sort of a conversational piece where we figured out what could we give and what could he give in order to get somewhere that would work, mainly for him because obviously we were keen as mustard. But yeah, just figuring out where we could both give to meet somewhere in the middle. Um, so I think that's how we did it. So did you start off with a big arc and then you just sort of slowly but surely bring the arc in to where you want it to be? Like yeah. you sort of dance around well, a little bit? Well, look, there's no set formula, but in that instance, and I'll just – I wouldn't usually talk about this, but in – That's what Straight Talk's about. I, I will for you. Thank you. Um, we pitched really long to start with. Which means what? Big ask. You know, multiple days, big travel, you know, all sorts of requests. And, you know, that was batted away. But in the batting away, we were able to gather enough information to go, oh, okay, I see. If we did it like this, it would fit in with his podcast schedule, with his medical profession, all the rest. So we we're able to sort of find a much smaller ask that still suited us that he could say yes to. Pretty easily, I think, in the end. Do you do it with him or did you do it with his team? With so Because you'll find stuff out team. from his team. They're, they're going to offer things up. It's sort of like a long-form negotiation. It is. It is. And you're, going, you're finding out what you can offer, what he can yep. offer. How important to him was it – I don't even know if this happened, but it did at some point in the, in the process. This sounds like a process. Because what, what I'm thinking about is uh, people who have Let's start here. First up, it was a no, straight no. No way. So Sorry, I can't. Yeah. Right? That was the first response. I can't because why? 
schedule, time management, you know, et cetera. Like, but but immediately what did you find out? So when you heard that? Yeah, so we immediately found out a couple of things that are really non-negotiable for him, i.e. being able to do his podcast, being able to service within his medical profession like he does, uh, also just general time management. So he's a guy, as you probably know, that runs a very, very tightly knit schedule and he sort of measures every hour and he's optimizing as per his book. So we had to find a way where we could fit inside that window. And that involved, you know, relinquishing a little bit of pre-media and all sorts of things that we could start to take away where it became harder and harder for him to say no, basically. That's or very, easier and easier to say yes. So a lot of research though, and, and, and patience. Oh, patience, definitely. I don't know how much research, um, you know, I'm a sort of, a very optimistic realist. So I went in thinking we're going to get him for sure. And then I kind of worked back from that belief. Um, not to say it was, you know, sort of fly by seat in my pants, but certainly went in thinking it was going to happen. And then as we got the no's and the no's and the maybes and the yes, yeah, I just stayed, just stayed on track with that. And look, stayed flexible, stayed generous and tried to be as giving as we could be. Um, yeah, because I mean, look, Everything about this conference is a value exchange, I'd like to believe, with our speakers, and we wouldn't have anything without them, but hopefully they get a lot of value out of it, right? Our audience, same deal. It's a, it's a big ticket item, right? It's three and a half grand to attend. Uh, and I really hope they get 20 grand of value, right? I believe they do. Um, and everybody, the media partners, the location, the caterers, everyone we get involved, it's all about value exchange. So that's what it was with Peter. How could we give him as much value whilst fitting within his regime, I guess you'd call it? Well, he doesn't care whether you – he's not hoping he's going to sell the book because you're going to give the book away anyway, and you probably bought a whole lot of books from him, but that's probably not – yeah. Overwhelmingly important enough for him. No, he's, already, he's already got a bestseller. Yeah. Um, what look, was it? He, what was the killer? What yeah, was the- well, I mean, he's, he's got a bigger purpose, which is around, to your point, what you do, really helping people, right? Like that's, that's his main purpose. So we're able to talk about the people in the room, the level of interest, the level of media. You know, Australia's a pretty important market for him. He's actually got decent traction here. So it was really about embellishing and, you know, engaging with that audience. Um, Can I come back to something you said before, which I found really interesting? You were sort of, you were comparing you and I when it comes to pitching and you can pitch your own stuff really well, which I have no doubt. I would guess that you're a natural, as in you haven't really done any training. Is that accurate? No training. Correct. Okay, great. I figured that. So this is why I believe I can coach it. I'm not a natural. In fact, I was absolutely terrible. I moved to New York at 21. Had a starter was terrible. Like just in to do what? Work in advertising. Right. Terrible pitcher. Terrible public speaker. To the point where I would not turn up for work or shirk meetings if I knew I had to present. But too stressed out or yeah. too anxious. Yeah. I mean, terrible. And I was surrounded by incredible pitchers. You know, I'm in New York at the best agency in the world. Everyone around me was unbelievable. So no one cared if I pitched. Over the journey of 10 years in New York, I realized, number one, I couldn't shirk and I had to make it part of what I did. So I started observing, writing down, gathering, doing every course I could. So I am that person who doesn't know how to pitch, who has been trained. Therefore, I'm able to hopefully write a good book that unpacks that, but also in my coaching sessions, really help people go from wherever they are to a lot better, right, to get to more yes. That's effectively the goal. Well, could you explain to me, I mean, I think it's, I mean, you're assuming something, it's, it's quite important that 
why in an advertising agency mm. do you need to know how to pitch? Yeah, it's a good question. Most, And even more than that, I'm a creative. Why the hell do I need to pitch? So what does that mean when you say so, that? So in advertising, you've got people who, let's call them account service, they deal with clients every day. They are pitching a lot. And then you've got creatives who basically come up with the work, come up with the ideas. The best ones do pitch their own work, but it's not a core skill, right? It's sort of like a periphery skill for a creative. I realized early on, probably wasn't going to be the best creative in the world. It's going to be good. You know, like I've made a, I've made a decent living. I've had a lot of fun. But I realized there was other things I could be great at, and I believed pitching once I got over the fear. I believed that could be something I was great at. So I've really focused on it from that point of view. Since then, I've had my own agencies where I've had teams of people, and I've realized, well, if we want this business to be commercially successful, we need to pitch our creative ideas to clients effectively so they buy them and so they keep buying them. And if we don't do that, well, we'll go to business. And if we do do that, we'll have a really flourishing, successful agency. So it became a a really commercial pursuit in getting myself and others to be better at pitching. Because I think a lot of people think that um, uh, advertisers, let's call it Kellogg's or whatever it is, mm. um, even my old company, Wizard, Yellow Brick Road, yeah. um, they think that we go along to your agency and we say, he'll just write an ad for us and do it. That's not really usually how it happens. Normally the way my understanding of it, my experience in it is that we go along to four agencies, five agencies, right. and we say, here's a brief. These are the customers we want to get. Here's something about our business. Uh, here's our budget. Yep. Pitch your idea for us. That's so, right. so then the agency goes to the creative people within the organization and they create something, then either the creative person or some the yep. account manager or whatever it is comes and pitches the idea. Yep. And it could be the world's best idea, but if it's pitched shit house, that's right. It doesn't get there. That's and right. then me, the client, I'll pick one of those five. Okay. Yep. And look at Does that still happen that way? Yes, absolutely. Yep. And it's you know, you know, what I've learned over the years is it's more than just pitching the idea, it's pitching the person pitching the agency, right? Like people want to work with people they like. And that's my point around average ideas can actually get up with a great pitch because people want to work with you. And really great ideas can die because they're like, God, I love the thinking. I love the idea. I just can't work with that agency or that person. Or I don't believe them, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, that's exactly how it still happens. So like and it's hyper competitive. So likability, which by the way, is a big thing in the social, medias, uh, social media world today, likability, yeah. because obviously the psychologists and all those people have worked out how yeah. they can influence us and likability is really important. Mm. How do you, could you just define likability a little bit for me? Like, uh, not not like the idea, but like when it comes to the person, what, how do you work likability out? I mean, how do you work out if you're coaching 10 people, how any one of those individuals can become likable? They've got to be affable, friendly, you know, social, yeah. and, you know, prepared to go and play tennis with a client. What is likability? Yeah. How do you do it? Yeah. So in my book, I talk about the claim methodology. So that's something that I developed just through the process of writing it. So claim as in confidence, likability, authenticity, influence, and memorability. They're, 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 they're the five aspects that a great pitcher or presenter needs to have. Right. So confidence, likability, and authenticity, influence, and memorability, right? They're the five things. Obviously, likability is in there. Most people don't even talk about likability in business, or at least the people that I've met, right? I they talk just, about it all the time. Do you? Well, that's great because most people don't. And that's because it's like, well, I'm a subject matter expert. Surely my genius and my past experience is enough. You don't have to like me, just like my work. And, it, and they're missing a huge part of it, right? Because people do want to work with people they like, scientifically proven. And I've seen it proven in so many pitches and meetings over the years. Um, 
But back to your question, how do you do it? Well, number one, you need to start getting all those things firing because likability, you know, it's linked with confidence. It's linked with authenticity. It's linked with memorability, right? Like if you're- Memorability, that one I want to just hit on. Yeah. What, what does that mean? So you want to make sure that you, your ideas, your agency, stick out and can be remembered. There's a couple of key reasons. Number one, obviously you just want to be present of mind for that client so they continue to think about you. But also if it's done well, your ideas become portable. What I mean by that is that client can walk out of the room and easily pitch your idea to their boss, to the next person they see in the street. And suddenly your ideas start spreading like smoke in an organization. And you don't have to be there, right? Like it's, it's a lot of work to set up every meeting and pitch and pitch and pitch. I mean, it's so much more scalable to pitch once in a really memorable way. That client then goes off and pitches for you. And that happens, right? I mean, often you're talking to a decision maker, but they also have a decision maker above them. And you need that person to understand it, like it, and then be able to pitch it easily to somebody else. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's very interesting. So could I just, if you don't mind, I just want to pick on someone like Elon Musk. Mm. Um, He's yeah. memorable. That's my point. That's why I should be that memorable. That's why I should be the memorability mm -hmm. bit because, and maybe you just take me through this. So, like, obviously, Musk pitches to the world, but he's pitching all the time to raise money for his space exploration, etc. Because there's no no return in it at this stage. Um, what do you think? It just off the top of your head, as in an analytical sense, why has he been so successful at pitching mm. to the people he pitches to? I I think Elon Musk is fully expressing himself. And I think that is just so watchable, so contagious, so investable, right? Like that guy is, he's leaving nothing behind the curtain. I mean, I've never met the guy. Would love to get him down to Stone Hearts and Mines. Next year. Correct. Um, but yeah, I think that's what it's about, right? Like he is a full expression of himself and you know you're getting everything. You mean he leaves nothing on the table? Yeah. Yeah. It's all uh, out. It's just, you know, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Donald Trump. Not personally a fan. Why is he so like? Like, why is he able to connect? I think it's down to a similar thing, right? Like he is just putting it all out there, saying whatever he wants. I'm sure you saw the, you know, the caucus speech recently. It was just like, 
how is a politician saying this stuff? And they lap it up. Um, See, look, I think it comes down to that, probably. Aside from the fact that Elon Musk is a straight-up genius, pioneer, super brave, super confident, a lot of the other things along the claim methodology. But, yeah, I I think what makes him unique is that just self-expression, right? You just feel like you're in the room with a friend when you hear from him, right? Like, he's just no bullshit, really. No bullshit one sort of ties into the authenticity piece. Mm. I mean, like, let's say we've got a person who's a, a genius, like brilliant at something. Yeah. And that particular person wants to go and pitch to investors um, to raise money. And uh, But this person's, uh, let's call them a scientist, and they're, they're in the weeds. They're a scientist. They don't really know. Yeah. They're not good at reading people. But what they do is admirable. And you admire the genius. You admire their uh, ability to never give up. You admire the fact yep. that they work 20 hours a day. How do you tell your audience that without looking like you're showing off? It's a terrific question. I'm dealing with a med tech startup right now. The head guy is an absolute boffin genius. And, yeah, the last thing we wanted to do is go into pitches and boats. That would be not likable. Well, look it fake. wouldn't feel very authentic. It probably wouldn't be influential, probably be memorable for the wrong reason. So what we did in that instance, we actually created humour around his genius. So I, I can't divulge the person or the no, business, no. but he did a whole bunch of hacking together the product before they got to market. I'm talking in his own house. And we found photos of him doing that. And he looks like, you know, Dr. Emmett Brown from uh, Back to the Future. Like he's just in there boffening away. So we use those photos to talk about the level of passion and, you know, just drive this guy has. So we use humor to sort of back in his real genius. Uh, And look, that's not the only way, but it's one way. Uh, It certainly works in Australia, right? Like I think people enjoy humor. They love self-deprecating humor. You know, like when people are great at what they do, I think you can actually ease off the boasting and go more into, you know, just humor and poking fun at it really. Sort of take the piss out of yourself so. or, or within a, in a respectful way. Yeah. Because like how many people, I mean, you, you probably see this all the time, I definitely see it all the time, is they think they've got to tell a story. They feel like they've got to tell a story about, you know, how they were raised in the shithole and, uh, you know, and out of, mm. against all the odds, they raise themselves up and uh, it's a great story, but my God, like it's been told so many bloody times. Yep. It's sort of starting to feel like it's disingenuous to me. And it's formulaic. It, it, very formulaic. And if you speak to a PR expert, they'll tell you to come up with that arc. Yeah, write the book. Yeah. Write a but, book. But what was the- About your life. Yeah, exactly. And also what was the obstacle? What were the barriers and how did you overcome them? And then how can you make that relatable to the rest of the market? Yeah, That's yeah. The, the sort of formula. Yeah, so, relate yeah. yeah, relate back to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And the reason uh, it works is because it is relatable. Yeah. Right? It makes it feel accessible But is that people. dangerous now? Well, I think if it's not true, it is 100%. But what about, but even if it is true, like um, how about the delivery of it? Like how do I deliver it without making it look like it is formulaic? Well, I think stories- Stories is probably the the hot wire way to do that. Make it as anecdotal as possible. Uh, and, yeah, don't make it up. That's the key. Right? Old photos. Bit, yeah, yeah, exactly. Visually. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. so the visual concept is quite – because, you know, I know so many people that come into my shows, not this one, but the mentor show, and they, they largely they start off with that story. Yeah. And even my show was – my mentor show was when we first started eight years ago. It was about that. Like, tell me your story. Like, you know, who yep. were you growing up or your parents like – and to be honest with you, I started to get a bit bored with myself mm. asking the questions. Mm. And then I started thinking to myself, hang on, this has become very formulaic. I've mm. become formulaic. Mm. And it, it, it was, and the market sort of momentum moved into the same formula. 
And I thought, no, how, how do I now spruce up my own show? Yep. Make, keep myself interested. I always take the view that my show's not interesting if I'm not interested. If I, if I lose interest, then I'll fuck. That's a good it. test. It's no good It's for a me. very good test. And uh, you know, maybe I, I started the, in some respects, I did a bit of the formula myself. I mean, when I first got involved with Gary Packer, you know, there's a kid from Punchbowl somehow is in partnership <laughs> with Gary Packer. Like, what the hell? Yeah. I mean, that was a good story. Yeah. Uh, but I've overdone it now myself. I mean, I, and by the way, I didn't create a story. I didn't. It was the truth. Yeah. And like, how the hell could you get you get involved with the richest man, and most powerful man in the country at the time? Um, it, it was actually the truth. But the more I told it, the more I don't know. Yeah, mundane it became, and yeah. and I think fuck me, I I can't even listen to myself talk about this shit, mm. um, let alone the audience expecting the audience to. When so if you're try if you do have a genuinely good genuinely good story about why you decided to do something because there was some obstacle in your way and you you came up with a solution to that obstacle which you now feel as though you can parlay to those other people in the world sure. who have the same obstacle. I mean, you were a yeah. little bit like that yourself. You, yeah, you, a little you, bit. You, for 10 years, you And I you can struggled. tell you why. So to me, it comes back to how can you add value? You know, that's actually what I say to people that are nervous, right, of public speaking or pitching. I say to them, you know what? It's actually not about you. It's about the audience and how you can add value to the audience. So step one to the side of the content, be the guide and add value. Right? So it just becomes less about you, less pressure. Often that has a little bit of an unlock for people with nerves and confidence. But anyway, but back to your specific question. So to me, it's about how can you add value? So if that sort of story, that origin story adds value to your audience, tell it. And if it doesn't, if it's just a great story that sort of builds you up, et cetera, don't tell it because it's not actually adding value. Don't waste your time. Correct. And I know that sounds slightly simplistic, but- why does anyone do anything on social media, in a pitch room, in the media, wherever it may be? Well, it should be to add value to the audience, right? Again, all the way back to Sun Hearts and Minds. Why do we do anything? To add value to our audience. And if it's not doing that, we really try not to do it if we can help it. Um, so that's how I would think about it. So why do I have my story in there about, hey, you know what? I was a terrible presenter, had a startup, bit of an idiot. I do. I have that in there, one, because it's true. Well, it also but- surprised and delights me too because I look at you now. Sure. Okay. That's cool. And I, I get surprised that. and delighted. I think, oh, well, that he, yeah. has, he was somebody else before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason it's in there is because that's what the whole subject matter is about. Most people come to me, whether it's executives or people on television or whoever, and they, their first question is, can this be taught? And I guess, you know, myself and a lot of people I've worked with are living proof that of course it can be, right? Absolutely. To me, it should be a human right. So that's why it's in there because it's a demonstration of what this is all about. I, I truly believe, read the book, work with me, people can up their performance in this, right? Can I ask you a question? My, my business, Yellow Brick Road, which is a finance company, we do yeah. mortgages for people, right? And I've got yeah. branches all around Australia. I often say to my guys, look, borrowers have got choices. They can go to Aussie Home Loans, they go to Mortgage Choice, they go to Yellow Brick Road, they go straight to the bank, whatever. Mm. Um, and But everyone, all our products are pretty much the same, pretty much. Um, there's some nuances, but, but, but let's assume the average Australian would be able to qualify for any with any one of the lenders. There's no such. I used to always say to my guys, "There's no such thing as an Amani dollar or a designer dollar. Dollars uh-huh. a dollar. They don't give a fuck where they get the money from, as long as you know the conditions are the same." But I used to say to them, "But if I line you all up at the starting line, um, the one the 
customer is going to choose as the one they like the most. They don't give a, they, they expect you to be a subject matter expert. Mm. They expect mm. you to know about. They're the brilliant basics. All, all the, yeah, but they've got to like you. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm trying to get a bit of free advice here, but um, <laughs> how, how would you say to one of my lenders in, you know, we've got them all across the country, two, two and a half thousand of them, how would you say to any one of them, how would they go about getting a customer like Because sometimes the customers, they're all different. You know, mm. sometimes customers think they know everything about the mortgage market. Sometimes the customers yep. are first timers. They haven't got a clue, um, et cetera. Some are smart asses. Some are just trialing you out because they've got three other inquiries on at the same time. How do they, you know, especially the younger guys and girls who work for us, the kids under 30, mm. who struggle a little bit. They struggle a little bit to establish their ability to execute I'm trying to borrow a million dollars. I'm 45 years of age. Why would I? Uh, you're 25. Mm. What do you know? Yeah. How the fuck are you going to help me? Mm. And that's a common complaint amongst our younger brokers. Yeah. Um, how do they go about playing that game? Yep. I mean, it's a complicated question. It I'm is. Sorry. It is. But let me have a crack at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, firstly, it would be each individual would be different, right? Because what you have to do with this stuff is you have to figure out what you've got naturally whatever that may be, and amplify that, right? We're certainly not trying to make people into something different, yep. right? Like someone that's more introverted more often, we don't want you to be jazz hands. In fact, we want to use that personality and make that feel authentic and easy to trust and all the rest. So it would be a very individual thing to start with. But I think it's sort of like broad strokes in that industry. I would be thinking about really understanding why that person is getting a loan because the reasons are different. And I don't mean why or to buy a house. No, 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 beyond that, why? Okay, to to take care of my family. Okay, but why is that important? Oh, well, you know, legacy and, you know, enduring, enduring my family, for example. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Okay, I understand the real purpose behind this loan, not to plug a financial gap. So that would be the first so thing I would try and do. Yeah, I, that's the first thing I would try and do. Um, and then the second thing I would try and do is, um, and this is slightly counterintuitive, I would pull right away from the sales idea. You know, it's almost like, let me help you. Let me give you value. If you go with us, great. If you don't, that's cool too. In fact, I'll help you go to someone else and get a loan from someone else if you choose that. But let me almost advise you and help you in this process. And then let's see what happens. Of course, if you do that well and you build some trust and empathy, they will go with that business. But the point is that, in my humble opinion, it can't be a do the sale objective. It has to be a, again, back to it, add value, right? Help that person. And then inevitably they will go with you if you do that well. So, Again, it, it is a tricky question and it's pretty broad, but they would be my two broad strokes. Figure out the real why, the real purpose. And that's about asking why a bunch of times to get up in that ladder and then pull away from the idea of sales, which I know is really tricky for people in sales, right? They've got KPIs, they're trying to hit numbers. How could you think less about sale, more about adding value to that person? And then you'll get the sale. And then you'll get the sale and probably a deeper sale and repeat sales, right? Because they find like... Something we talk about in my game is we want to be trusted advisors and trusted advisors are the type of people that tell you not to spend money if it's the right thing to do, right? 
A salesperson, mate, buy, 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 sell, give me more money. A trusted advisor says, actually, save that money, put it to the bottom line. There's a better thing we could do later, right? Do that a couple of times to a client, again, authentically. They'll trust you for life. It's right? funny you raise that with me because um, before I even started business with Kerry, we were in business together, but like before we really kicked off, he said to me one day, he said, uh, you, I don't want you to call your business Wizard Home Loans. He said, just call yourself Wizard. He said, because at the end of the day, he said, we're in the games of, we're in the game, uh, he and I are in partnership, but we're in the game, our business is in the game of helping people achieve their hopes and dreams. He said, just take, Take the word home loans out. This is a tricky fucking word. He said, and it's a bit of a scary word because it's debt. Clever. He said, talk about Clever. It's ho hopes and dreams. He said, Every, they dream they're going to have a home. They dream they're going to have a portfolio yep. of homes or properties. Um, they dream they're going to retire comfortably with six properties if that's what they do. They hope that one day they can put an extension and they put their kids in the back, mm. whatever the case may be. And he said, that's your starting point. Hopes and dreams. And be, but, but in terms of the likability stuff, and uh, I share this with you, he said to me, don't just at the end of the deal when the deal's transaction's finished and they've settled, never talk to them again. He said, ring them up, see yeah. how they're going. Um, you know, is your interest rate okay? How are you feeling? Um, and you know, like, is there anything else I can do for you? Or how's your pro how's the property market going around there? Like, give them some something that's valuable. Yeah. Like, yep. like, not just see you later. Thanks for my commission. I'm out. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought that was incredibly intuitive of Kerry. He he never had done a, a course either, I guess, but uh, but incredibly intuitive because he hadn't yeah. been in my game. I'm a numbers guy, so I'm about um, financial model modeling. You know how to get the pricing. It's all about you know for me, it's all about the cost, initial cost, and then margin and pricing. Yep. He said that's important, son. He said, but make sure you understand what their objective is, and their objective is not to borrow money that's and right. owe you money for the next that's thirty right. years. Yep, that's that. their rational objective. What's their emotional objective? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to be there. Um, it's interesting you talk about, you know, staying in touch when the deal's done and therefore there is no more commerce to be done. Um, we always, in my game, we always look for areas that don't get love, right? So, for example, maybe if we're trying to deal with a whole bunch of ASX-listed companies, maybe we'll go and talk to just EAs and we'll throw an EA event. You know, why do we do that? Well, one, we want to learn about the businesses. But two, those EAs don't get much love from people, right? They're, mm, totally. They're kind of the core of these businesses. They're so important, but most people just don't give them any love, just don't really think about them. Well, throwing an event for those types of people, number one, they'll love it and really appreciate it. Number two, you'll learn a lot. And number three, it's just not a very competitive space because most people are focused on, you know, the big wig decision maker. That's where all their sort of interest and effort goes. Um, there are real sort of value pockets where you can go in where other people aren't. And I think that's an example of it, right? After the deal, how many mortgage brokers or mortgage companies are still talking to their clients. Oh, not rarely, many. Rarely at not all. Not many. So suddenly you're in a race of one um, being able to do incredibly well. So I think, you know, genius advice, not surprised. And with the with the um, introduction these days of social media and or email, just emails, um, you can send newsletters out. Like there's, I mean, I know a lot of people don't read newsletters, but if it's mm. a valuable, valuable newsletter, like it says, look, this is what CoreLogic's telling us about the property market um, in your area. You mm. know, Chatswood, the property's gone down, but you know, across the road at Crow's Nest, they've gone up. Yep. 
that might be valuable to somebody. It doesn't, yeah. and you've got to. Not everything's going to be valuable valuable to everyone, everybody, but you've got to try everything. And and by the way, don't try one thing. Try everything. Like just yeah. keep throwing it out there. And like these days, you can send emails out. It doesn't really matter. You can send them out to the whole world. Cost you the same amount of money, basically. There's yep. not much more in it. Um, and it, 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 see, I'm trying to get at a yellow brick road business. What I've been trying to get our guys to become is liked. Mm. I just say. The client's got a choice of where they go to, and don't think they're only coming to you. They're talking to a lot of people. They'll go with the one that they like the most because yep. the product's no different, pretty much. Yeah. So, okay, I deal with lots of CEOs and business leaders, people like yourself. My challenge would be, are you allowing your people to express themselves in their job, or are they within a fairly rigorous yellow brick road not formula, but way of working. No, they they well, we, they're all franchises, so they basically run their business. Okay, Everyone, and they can run it any way they like. Uh, any way they like. Okay, um, we, so, we don't look at their P and L yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. So, what I would be doing, and I know you're not necessarily asking, but I'm just no, I want to hear. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm fascinated by this sort of stuff. I would be figuring out how do you enable these people to express their true self within the bounds of the job, right? Because that is what will get them liked and make them more memorable, right? I, I mean, I, I've dealt with lots of mortgage-type businesses over the years. It's relatively formulaic. It's kind of the same thing. Take the logo off, slap another one on, you'd yeah. never know the difference. Well, there's a big gap for someone to be out there filled with personality and individuality, you know, with a group of people expressing themselves within the bounds. You know, like it's <laughs> you just pitch it's appealing. I, I, it's funny, you know, like in this whole process, I've been thinking to myself, maybe I'm going to go JP to come along and talk <laughs> to our head of sales because, like, you, you're sort of like, uh, well, well, that's what uh, I do, Mark. So, yeah, you but, know. But, but I'm not saying you can't help yourself, but it's it's natural. It's authentically real. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. do like to help. Well, I'm driven by it, man. It's you know, it's it's a real purpose for me. It's not just like how might I feed my kids? Yeah, no, yeah. like. You know, I've been fortunate enough that I do what I really love now, not just what makes money. So, yeah. So it's funny, David Gingell said to me many years ago, and you know Ginge. I do. Um, he said to me um, five years ago, he said, mate, your advertising campaign, and he's a natural creative. creative right. um, Brilliant, he, man. Like, and he knows audiences really well. Yeah. Um, ex head of Channel 9. Um, so therefore he should know audiences. But he said to me, mate, just run campaigns where you're effectively letting people know you're going to help them. Because everybody wants help hmm. in the mortgage game, like or borrowing money, they need help. Yeah, he said, help them and uh, continue to make them feel like that. And he said to me, "Look at the NRA campaign, that great mm. campaign, HELP. Yep, like that's it's like totally brilliant. I mean, mm. that's exactly why you want an when you ring NRMA for a surf, road service, you're needing help, yeah. no matter where you are. Please help me." Um, mm. But he said, uh, "Borrowers are the same, or a large percentage of borrowers are the same." There's some smarties, but the large percentage of borrowers are the same. And at those sorts of natural, um, and, and to me, I find it quite unnatural because there's not many people who naturally think about like you do and he does and other people like Kerry does. There's Some people just think about these things naturally. Difference between, say, them and you is that you have this desire to prosecute it, which no doubt you've read a book. Absolutely. Um, you just have, the, and you know, you're, you're running Stone Hearts and Minds. You naturally like to prosecute that, those outcomes. Help. You like mm. to prosecute help. Where's that come from? It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I think probably from the fact that I had to help myself first. And what about going back beyond that? I, I, I'm a very curious person, you know. I, I, I can't leave things 
as they are, I have to turn over the stone and figure it out. But do you need to fix things? Are you uh, uh, like, do you naturally have this thing? I want to fix a problem. Like if you have I an argument with somebody, fixing problems. let's say you have I an love argument, fixing problems. And you know what? The trickier the problem, and in fact, the trickier the person. Like I, I, I always have this thing I say, which is, I love tricky people. And what I mean by that is, if there's a scary CEO in a big ASX business. I want to meet that. I want to be in the room with that person. I want to talk to that person one on one, and I, I just, I don't know. I get a real kick out of doing stuff like that. So tricky people, tricky problems, absolutely. That's, yeah. So you're a that's solutions like guy. That's like to a flame for me. Yeah. So you're like a, a solutions type personality. Yeah, you, absolutely. You, you does it ever become? A and I love completion. I yeah. love the completion of things, right? Which is why I probably love advertising because you get given a problem, you then come up with ideas, you create the solution, whatever that may be, and then you tie a bow and you move on. Like I just love that full circle completion. So I get the same thing out of winning the room. I'll meet an executive, they'll be at a certain level, I'll lift them, you know, 20, 30%, and then I'll see the fruits of that. I'll see them getting more yes, I'll see them progressing in their career, I'll see their business, you know, uptick in commercials, whatever it may be. I get a massive kick out of that. When I see people like that though, um and I know a couple of people like that, not many, like you. How do you deal with failure then when it doesn't work? That's part of it. That's part of it. I mean, I've failed more than I've succeeded. That's for damn sure. And I also think the best stuff comes after failure and pain. So to me, you never fail if you never stop. And I never stop. So it's all part of the process, right? Um, and this book wouldn't be written, I wouldn't be coaching if I hadn't failed so many times, right? Because that was the second question Kerry ever asked me. Have you ever failed? Yeah. It's funny you say that. There's a guy in New York, Dr. Horace Woody Brock. You may have heard of him. He's an amazing mind in finance. Many, many years ago when I lived in New York, I had this probably silly idea and I went to him and I pitched for money. He, never, he in the end didn't give me the money. And I wanted to understand why. Again, I'm curious and annoying. So I continued to hit this guy up and we actually eventually became friends because he was like, who is this, you know, 20 something guy who's like sort of on my back. His main reason for not giving me the money was because I hadn't failed before. And he told me that outright. And I found it so ridiculous and preposterous at the time. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you're kidding me? I'm Teflon. I haven't failed you. Isn't that brilliant? And he was just like, no, that is a worry. Like you have no experience effectively, right? Um, and yeah, whatever, 20 years later, I know he was right. Very, very right. Well, finally now in terms of investment or investors is nearly de rigueur. Like they, they're nearly, it's nearly a condition precedent. Yeah. And not because they want you to have failed, but they want you to have experienced failure yeah. or near failure and they want to know whether or not you're resilient enough to move around That's it. That's right. And what did you do? What did you learn from that failure and how did you sort of um, – Pivot, I hate the word pivot, but like reshape yeah. the whole thing, if at all, or do you, how did you start up again? Because, you know, because inevitably the assumptions we make when we first look at our pitch and our idea and whether or not we, it's going to work in the market, they change. Of course. Variables. Yeah. They're and all now variables. more than ever, right? Oh, like, totally. Look forward. The amount of change that's coming and happening right now, it's unprecedented. I hate that word, but it is. If you're not resilient, if you're not willing to be wrong and correct, Mate, you're dead. I mean, anyone who thinks they've got the idea and the answer today is going to be wrong tomorrow. Well, how do you pitch that in there? So how do I convince – how do I speak to the yep. audience that I'm pitching to? Let's call it I'm raising money mm -hmm. um, to let them know that I am one of these people because it, you don't want to look like you're wishy-washy. Yeah, yeah, but that's why it's about 
the person, the business, the approach. Yes, the idea's got to be good, but the idea may well change, right? So that's that's exactly why they need to buy into all the other softer aspects. And people that just pitch the idea leave value on the table because there's, you know, all those other things are not triggered for the audience. Um, but yeah, that's exactly why. So exactly you're, you, why. You've, you've got to, you, you need to demonstrate somehow, and it may not be the first meeting, it may be other meetings, but you need to demonstrate somehow, let me make sure I'm interpreting this right, you need to demonstrate somehow that your personality is such that if the idea needs amendment, refinement yeah. or change that your personality is one of those personalities is not just going, fuck it, it's my idea, I'm never going to change. Sure. That my personality is such that I will make change. Yeah, it's it's personality, but it's also methodology and rigor, right? Like is this person and organisation set up where they can get enough data to realise they're wrong and have the boldness to correct. So, yeah, it's personality, but also have you set up the business like that or have you just sort of one-eyed gone after one thing and there's really no listening, no data happening? I mean, how could you ever know you were wrong? You know, you, Well, you'll know you're wrong when you're going broke, right? And that's obviously too late for investors. Um, for example, does that mean you might say to the people you're pitching to, look, I've got an advisory board or two, but, but on that advisory board is an independent person or a person who will just tell me the way the fuck it is and, uh, and, uh, part of it. and yep. I will listen to that particular individual. Yep. Part of it, but that- also just, just straight up measurement, right? Like what are we doing to know if this is working, not working, what isn't working, what could we tinker and optimize? Have you got that system in place? You know, if it's a digital business, there's many, many ways you can measure everything. We've well, got to make sure you're actually doing that and you're demonstrating, hey, I'm going to do it in a really efficient way, listen and change. Um, or evolve. Yeah, evolve, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, or yeah. refine. I mean, yeah. they're the words I like to use. Yeah, sure. Because yeah. you do have to... Re- Whatever your great idea is at the beginning, I'll guarantee within three or four years that's not exactly the same idea. It's yeah. going to have changed. Yeah, my business has always done that. They just they sort of and sort of somewhat reflecting the market. Mm. But like also, I worked out should I thought it was going to be right it was stupid. Like in the you know when I think about it in hindsight, um, and, and but that you you're saying to me though, in your pitch. And therefore, one pitch is going to be very hard to convince anyone. You need how do I make sure I, like you did with a T, you kept having moments um, with his team. Yeah. How, how do I ensure that? Because this is someone says, oh, I'm going to give you a minute and a half, three minutes, whatever. Yeah. What do you? How do you deal with that? Yeah. Well, you got to make sure that three and a half minutes is highly, highly memorable. Right, you do something different. Again, I mean, we're getting into the weeds of all yeah, the, the techniques, for sure, yeah. but you know. I'll just give you one to sort of demonstrate it. At the start of any pitch, there is a tone in the room, right? May well be a formal tone or whatever tone it is, your job as the presenter is to shift that tone, right? So that you just create difference from the word go. And then obviously you need a well-structured pitch. But just as one example, you want to make sure that that three and a half minutes feels like a very, very different three and a half minutes for that person. And in my experience, what often happens is they find another 30 minutes right there and then, right? And you just carry on. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, don't worry, change my diary. And they carry on. Um, they're giving you three and a half minutes because they're worried you're going to waste that time. Yeah. And they're getting pitched all the time yeah. as well. And, yeah, and absolutely. so you've got to make your sort of self somewhat different. How do you read the tone? Like, uh, how do you like? You might go on there. You might be at the end of the day. They've already heard twenty other people. I mean, I used to yep. do it with bondishes. I used to go to the US. So there, you've got a lot of information right there, right? So we already know they're tired. They're fatigued. They're probably not that interested. They probably assume they know what you've got to say. They just heard twenty pitches. Yep. They're all probably similar. 
Well, in that first 30 seconds, let them know this is different. Maybe even acknowledge the moment. Look, guys, I know you've had X, Y, Z and it's time. This is going to be different for these reasons. Or what, even to start with a cold opener where it's like, you know, something completely tangent, nothing to do with the pitch, but they're like, wait a sec, this guy's talking about, I don't know, medical science? Okay, weird. And then dovetail it back to the, con to the content. Oh, okay. Wow. Great. Now, you know what I mean? That just draws someone in, for example. There's many things you can do. The point is you've got to shift the tone. It's got to be something that you absolutely hardwire in. And that takes guts. Most people don't want to do that. They actually want to assimilate and fit in. That's really dangerous, right? It's just oh, that's interesting. you become one of many. Very, wow. very forgettable. Not very confident. Not that likable. Not yeah. that authentic and hard to influence, right? So, so again, you, you kind of miss the claim methodology if you assimilate. The claim methodology is—is is that a chapter in this book? It's—it's it's actually the five sections in the book. Yeah, right, so it's sections. kind of the foundation of the book. Yeah, so like basically, I, I, I do this course for executives. I have thirty modules that I do with executives, and I basically wrote those thirty modules out as thirty chapters. My publisher was like, "Yeah, you're dreaming. That's not a book. That's like a sort of—I don't even know what it is. Go and write a book." So then I thought, right, okay, went back to sort of the start, and just thought about those 30 modules and tried to organize them and realized, holy crap, they actually fit, you know, five fit into confidence, five fit into likability, blah, blah. And that's where claim came from. So it was literally from writing the book, I discovered these sort of themes, which then became uh, the sections in the book. And then I added a whole bunch of personal stuff in and it became, yeah, a book rather than a sort of, I don't know, list of things to do. It's, it's very interesting because like, you know, a lot of people I know, um, they want to be liked. They understand that they want to be liked. Everyone actually wants to be liked. So what they tend to do when they walk in the room and, and they might be at the end of the day and they can see everybody's really tired and uh, they've already heard 30 of these pictures for the day, they, instead of trying to be actually liked because they are, the, the audience becomes interested or they admire mm. something or whatever the case mm. may be, they try to be not yeah. disliked. Yeah, I get it. Exactly. Exactly. Th That's think interesting. Th think about your five best friends. I bet you some of them make you feel self-conscious and uncomfortable because they're so smart or, you know, make you laugh. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't fit in. Well, I'm thinking about my friends, thinking about, you know, I ask that question of a lot of people, think about your five best friends. They're not people that just fit in and always say yes and just do what you do. Mm. Usually they stretch you, they test you, they make you feel uncomfortable, they question what you're about, they make you question what you're about. That's the type of likability we're talking about, right? It's not about fitting in. It's actually about sticking out, but being interesting, intriguing, funny, curious, all those things. That's that's true likability. It's not about being friends, right? Like we're talking about business in most of my coaching and most of the book. You don't need to be friends with your client, but you need to be fascinating, right? You need to be interesting. You need to be unforgettable and curious and all those other things. So that's the type of likability. But I actually love that distinction. Don't aim to be not disliked because mm. that's actually not what it's about because you will. You become just pretty- Or well, you become one of the 30. But just wet. Yeah, yeah. Wet and in the middle, right? Like you actually want to be pointy and have levels of extreme. Without being a pain in the ass. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I'd, yeah. yeah. Everything's got to be sort of- sort of tapered with common sense. You also don't want to exactly just be a pain. But, yeah, you do want to have edges and stick out like any great friend you have, right? They've got edges. That's what makes them we'll interesting. We'll go back to Elon Musk. That's, that's what he does. Edges Even for Trump. days. Edges for days. I mean, you might exactly. not like Trump, but you won't forget him. Correct. 
Correct. Yeah, and, and you know he's got an opinion. You know he's going to say what's in his mind. He may well offend you and you'll probably laugh about it later. Exactly. That's the type of likability we're talking about. But um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I always gauge how well I've gone in a conversation along these lines with my guests, you being one of them today. Um, if they say to me, it's funny, I've never thought about that, and you gave me one of those about uh, 15 minutes ago. So that, <laughs> that's important to me because because yeah. I am at, I want people to say that. I actually never thought about that before. Yep. Or I find that interesting. That's an interesting question. Or can I go back to that question that was mm. because that's stuck in your mind. So And I didn't even realise what. Most of your questions have been like that, to be honest. So. Well, but I didn't realise. Yeah. I don't do it consciously. I do it because I just like that little reward. Mm. So that mm. feeds my reward centre in my brain. Well, I think you're genuinely interested, right? I that's, am. Well, that's why that's I do this. Because I like to talk to people yeah. about what shit they I know and, and I don't know. And that's me with clients, right? Like I actually care about their business. I'm interested in how they make money, right? It's not about me and how I can be more creative. It's like I want to understand you, wh like what could we do? And then we'll get creative and we'll come up with stuff. But you've, it's got to start with real interest. So, yeah, man, I, I appreciate it. I really love this book. I'm going to I'm gonna read it. I'm going to need you to sign it for me. Thank um, you. And this is called Winning, Winning the Room, uh, Public Speaking Skills for Unforgettable Storytelling, and it's by JP, Jonathan Pease. He's not just a, books, a bookseller, book writer, <laughs> um, but he's actually, uh, well, if, if, if I was to read out to you, and I'll do a little bit later, but if I was to read out to you um, uh, his profile and his um, uh, backstory, but I'll be going on for 10 minutes. He's doing some fantastic stuff. Um, I really appreciate my time with you today i it was it was a stroke of luck to meet you thank you appreciate it lovely to meet you deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.